Hey, good morning, good morning. You may be seated. Good to see you here today. For those of you watching online, you got your toes in the water, toes in the sand, not a care in the world, cornerstone in your hand. You're watching live service today. Hey, good to see you this morning. All right. Hey, we're feeling good, like I should. Okay, I'm just going to drive myself. Good to have you here today. Welcome uh, to Cornerstone. If you're here in person, thank you so much for Memorial Weekend. Uh, I grew up as an army brat. My dad served in the military for 22 years. And this is honestly one of those weekends where, yeah, we get that extra day off. You're going to fire up the grill. It's a great time. It's kicking off summer. But at the same time, all of the freedoms that we have today came because someone said, I will put my life on the line for men and women that I don't know. And so today, I want to honor all the people who have given their lives. But then if you've served in our armed forces in any form, fashion, thank you so much for your service. Can we give them a hand this morning? Thank you so much. We get to enjoy freedoms because of you. We get to have our services uh, in a way and and worship God freely because of you. And so for that, we're so grateful and thankful. Hey, it's a little weird today when you walked in, right? The seats are throwing me off too, but it's something new and we're trying, like we're getting comfortable with people again. And so if you're not, just like, yo, scoot over like two seats, bro, or go up in the balcony, all right? So, hey, uh, I'm so thankful to have you here. If you're a guest with us today, Thank you so much for showing up. Listen, we want to give you a gift today just for being here. As a matter of fact, when you came inside, you should have received a worship guide, and there's a connection card inside there. Super important for us because this is our way to connect with you. So uh, towards the end of our service, we'll receive an offering. All we're asking you to do is just drop this off, and as you leave today, there's some wooden tables in the lobby. We got a free t-shirt for you, just our way of saying thank you for being here. So this ain't one of those like church gifts where you're like, golly, that's a dumb... Like, you're gonna love this shirt, all right? It's gonna be one of your favorites. It'll be a go-to this summer, and so we just wanna give that to you. If you're watching online, we got a digital connection card for you to fill out as well. We'd love to be able to uh, meet you that way. On the back of this card, there is a spot for prayer requests, next steps. We pray over these cards every single week. So if there's any way that we can pray for you, we would love to pray for you. We wanna continue to minister to our people in that way. Listen, we have a lot of fun here at our church, and we love to give back. And so one of the ways that we can give back is actually by checking in on Facebook. So for those of you who have Facebook, this month we have partnered with Feed One. And just by checking into Cornerstone Downtown, so for those of you who don't know, you just go to Facebook and you'll put a status and you can just hit check in and right there, Cornerstone Downtown will pop up. Just hit that. That's all you got to do. And every two check-ins provides a meal to a child in need through all the different countries that Feed One partners with. So, so far, uh, all across America with other churches in the United States, we've already provided over 7,700 hundred meals just by checking in. So yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. I hope you do as well. Listen, I I have a lot of fun things to tell you about, but I'm going to wait because I know how your fickle brains are. You're going to forget. Did I call your brains fickle? Yes, I did. All right. Don't be offended. Just there's almost so much you can absorb. All right. And so I'm going to tell you about some of the stuff we have going on this summer that you're going to want to make sure that you are a part of. But before we do any of that today, I'm really honored. Uh, You know, COVID threw a lot of things off. 
And so we actually have a guy that's here today who's gonna be speaking his name, Javier Hildago. He is a missionary to what country? Scotland. You didn't see that one coming. All right, I know, it's incredible. You're like, well, oh, he's definitely like somewhere Spanish. Nope. Scotland, and he's got an amazing story. I met Javier a couple of years ago. We met at the coffee shop right downtown, and I got to listen to him share his story, his story of what God did in his life, which caused him to be where he's at today. It wasn't like he grew up thinking, I can't wait to be a missionary. That's a calling, and he actually now travels around raising support as they're preparing to go to the country of Scotland. So he was supposed to be here last year. Obviously, that threw things off, and so he's here today, and I'm so honored to have him here with us. So y'all give him a great cornerstone welcome as Javier comes up this morning. He'll be bringing us the word. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, as he said, my name is Javier Hidalgo. You can call me Javi. All my friends uh, call me Javi, and y'all just seem like such a friendly group. You can call me Javi. I'm here with my family, uh, my beautiful wife, Tiffany, and our three boys, Grayson, Sawyer, and uh, Micah. And as Pastor said, we are missionaries uh, to Scotland. We are in kind of the support-raising phase of our ministry, and what the, all that means is that we have been able to travel this great country of ours for the past two years, visiting faithful churches like yours, sharing the need for missions work in Scotland and around the world. And then uh, we're kind of on the tail end of that. So we have plane tickets purchased for uh, this August, and we'll make a permanent move over to Scotland to uh, help people find and follow Jesus in a town called North Berwick, Scotland. Uh, before we get into our message and I share my story with you this morning, um, on the Welcome Center, when you, uh, as you exit this morning, make sure to pick up one of our cards. At the very least, you'll get a cute picture of my family. Um, you'll also get an opportunity to be reminded to pray for our family. Uh, really, what we need prayers for right now is that our visas will be approved so we can board those flights in August. Um, you'll also find on the back of it some ways you can connect with our family, whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, or if you just want to check out our website, learn more about Scotland and our ministry. Um, here's what I'd like to do with you this morning with the uh, brief amount of time that we have together. Uh, I'd like to share our story with you. Uh, as Pastor said, um, we never would have expected that we would be missionaries. I never would have expected that I would even be standing in a church before you. So I'd like to share the story of how God uh, worked in our lives and how he called us from Houston, Texas uh, to go across the pond to North Berwick, Scotland. And then after I share uh, my story with you, I'd like to share a story from, uh, with you from the Bible. We'll look at uh, Peter's story and uh, see how P- Peter is restored by God. And we'll kind of tie the two together. Let me start by sharing uh, our story with you. Um, I am from Houston, Texas. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, growing up, my parents told me that we were Catholic. Maybe uh, you've come from a background like that. I say it like that uh, because we never went to Mass. I mean, like five times maybe. Christmas, Easter, and then the other three times were times where things just got difficult at home, and my dad said, we're going to church, and he packed us in our SUV, and we drove to church. But uh, I never understood what was happening. I just kind of sat in one of the pews and listened to the priest talk, had no idea what was happening. Now, maybe it's like this here, I'm not sure, but in Houston, Texas, as a young boy, every adult or authority figure I ever met told me that God was real. Right? Like I would, whether it was um, the, the lady at my daycare or my teachers at school, everybody told me that God was real. So um, my oldest is actually in here on the second row over. He's six years old, Grayson. If you would have asked me when I was Grayson's age, is God real? I would have enthusiastically told you, yeah, God's real. Of course God's real. Everybody knows God is real. If you would have asked me who Jesus Christ was, I would have looked at you like, well, what do you mean? 
I had no, no idea, right? Um, but I accepted that truth until uh, my mom got very sick. And my mom was really healthy. I remember I used to sit in our uh, living room and I'd look out the window, like kind of like peek through the blinds as mom would run laps around the park that we lived across the street from. She was very healthy. Um, but then I remember at nine years old, uh, my mom and my dad, they sat me down in our living room and they said, hey, um, we just want you to know that uh, mom has become sick and she might never walk again. And uh, if you're wondering what my mom was diagnosed with was multiple sclerosis. And if you know anything about uh, MS, it's an illness that affects your nervous system. And if you think about your nervous system for a second, like, that's every bodily function that you have. And so for my mother, uh, it was her ability to uh, walk and her ability to see. And so as my mom started to go blind, that's when I started questioning that truth that was shared with me. God is real. And so uh, I'm 12 years old at this point. Mom's been suffering for a few years. I go to my older brother. He was five years older than me. I remember sitting down on his bed, and I asked him this question. Maybe you've asked a question like this before. I asked him, Frankie, how do you know that God is real when people suffer? Right? If you've been in any sort of difficult situation before, maybe you've asked that kind of question. I asked my brother that, and uh, he had no idea how to answer that question either. Uh, here's what his response was. Uh, one, Get out of my room. You're not supposed to be in here, right? Like, oh, thanks, bro. Uh, two, I don't know. Go Google it. And then he, like, kicked me out of his room. Um, so that's what I did. I, we had a, man, I'm dating myself, but we had a computer in our living room. It was a family computer. You know, we all shared one computer. And uh, I went on that computer, and I remember typing into the Google search bar, how do you know that God is real when people suffer? And I'd love to say that I found a church like yours that shared the gospel with me, the good news of Jesus Christ, and I got saved that day, but that's not what happened. Do you know what happened? I found a group of atheists, and these atheists were arguing that if God did exist, then suffering like my mother faced would not happen, and that it was foolish to believe in God. And as a 12-year-old boy with really nobody to ask these kind of questions, uh, I completely bought in. I mean, I really bought in. I remember telling my mother three days later that I was an atheist, and I remember my mom, she was getting me ready for school at the time. She uh, wagged her finger at me, and she said, no, you're not. And she, my mom didn't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ at the time. She just knew this wasn't good. Uh, in a very 12-year-old boy-like fashion, I said, uh, yes, I am, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's how I chose to live my life. Uh, my story begins to change a little bit when I met Tiffany. We met on the first day of high school in ninth grade Spanish class, I might add, and I do not speak any Spanish and uh, it is completely her fault. Um, see, here, here's why I say that. Tiffany sat one row over from me, three seats up, and I so vividly remember that because I wanted to date her from the first day of high school. I was late to class, so I had to sit like all the way back here watching her from afar, and uh, Tiffany didn't want to date me, uh, but we became really good friends. Tiffany was saved at a, accepted Christ at a church in Houston at a young age, but by the time we got to high school, she had kind of walked away from her faith. She was kind of doing her own thing, cared more about what her friends thought than being in church, and this allowed us to become good friends. Uh, we continued to be friends. We didn't date through high school. When I got to college, I became the most deeply involved in atheism as I ever was in my life. Um, the best way I can explain it to you is that I really thought it was my mission to convince Christians that it was foolish to believe in God. Me and my atheist friends on the college campus would try to find Christians and try to question them and sow doubt in their lives and get them to uh, feel like they were foolish for believing in God, made them feel small for their faith. Uh, in between doing that, I would try to find value, and I would try to find my worth and all these things in the world that would never fill me. I, you know, I, I, would, I would party hard with my, with my friends, 
Right? It, was a, it, was a, it was a regular occurrence in my life for me not to remember what happened the night before. And then I would go back to trying to convince Christians that their life was foolish. Uh, my story really begins to change when Tiffany and I began to start dating my senior year of college. You see, Tiffany was doing the same thing, trying to fill her life with all these things that could never sustain her. Different things, but the same concept. But she finally agreed to start dating me, and I was over the moon excited. And we'd known each other for about 10 years at this point. And then I got this text message that said, hey, we got to break up. And it was only three days later. And I'm like, what in the world? Okay, so here's what I did. Uh, Tiffany lived with her parents at the time, and my parents lived five minutes from her parents. So I sped over to her parents' house. They weren't home, mind you, okay? Uh, I pull into their driveway, I barge into the living room, and I say, Tiffany, why do we have to break up? Here was her response. I don't know, I got to thinking about it. I'm a Christian, you're an atheist. What future do we have together? And that made me mad. I mean, really mad for a few reasons. One, I'm a college student. I haven't thought about what I'm having for lunch today, let alone like kids and a future. Like, what are you talking about? We don't have a future together. And then two, she's never going to give up her belief in God. If she was, she would have done so by now. And I'm not giving up my atheism. So this is through. So here's what I decided I was going to do. I'm going to... uh, Walk out that door. I'm going to slam the door behind me. Um, I drove a sports car. That's a little sports car I was proud of. Uh, I'm going to back that up into the cul-de-sac. Her parents live on a cul-de-sac. They still live in the same house. I'm going to do a donut in that cul-de-sac, and then I'm going to peel out, and I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to find an atheist girl to date where I don't have these kind of problems. That was the plan. And then I got this bright idea. You know it would be great if I just said something kind of mean to Tiffany, to give her something to remember me by, as if the donut in the cul-de-sac was not enough for her to remember me by. And so I walk over to the door, and I get to the front door, and I grab the handle. I'm like, I know what I'll say to her. And I turn around to Tiffany. I say, hey, Tiffany, that's not fair. You never even invited me to church. See, here's what I knew. Even as an atheist, I knew if I'm the Christian and I'm the lost one, it's your job to do something about it, not my job. This is your failing. What I didn't expect, because I thought I would be able to leave, she goes, oh, man, you're right. Let's go to church. And then I turn on my eyes get like this big because that's not the plan. I had no desire to ever go to church in my life. I don't know about this area, but in Houston, Texas, I was talking to somebody about this before service, there are enough churches to go to a different church every Sunday for two and a half years. And we know that because that's our story. That's what we did. Every Sunday, we'd find a different church to go to. She didn't have a church to invite me to. I would sit on the back row, and then uh, they would start, you know, calling people to the front or singing a, a song of worship, and I would make our, my way all the way back out to her car, our, our car. And Tiffany would sit down and go, Javi, what was wrong with this one? And I'd proceed to tell her all the reasons we could never, ever, ever go back to that church. You know, uh, everything from Man, why would you want to go to a church where people aren't friendly? Nobody even talked to us. Don't you want to feel like you're at home? To, man, those people were weird. Like, nobody's that friendly. It's Sunday morning. I'm tired. Like, why is everybody so excited to be there? But we just always find a reason not to go. I didn't like the pastor's tie or, like, does the pastor even own a suit? Like, those were the kind of things that I would say. My, um, we got married and uh, Tiffany put her foot down. She said, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to go to one church, and I know which one we're going to. It's right next to the high school we met at. We still lived in the area, and we're going to go there. All right, guys, to make a long story short, we're attending for a few weeks, and a, um, a couple in the church invited us to go out to eat, and I didn't want to go. 
uh, I thought they were up to something. I was like, people don't just invite you to go out to eat, Tiffany. Like, I bet you he's like an insurance salesman or something. Like, we're going to sit down. He's going to have a pitch. You watch, right? Uh, Tiffany says, we'll go. So we, we go out to eat with this family. And Henry and Miranda Jordan are their name. So Henry Jordan, the husband in this family, we get to Chili's. They haven't even taken our drink order. And he leans across the table. He puts his arm on the table like this. And he goes, all right, guys, here's the real reason I invited you out to eat. And I look at Tiffany. I'm like, I told you, grab your wallet. I told you, this guy's up to something. Here's what he says. We're starting a Bible study for young married couples, and we want you to come. You see, at the church we were attending, there weren't a lot of young people. We're like one of the only young married couples in the entire church. Uh, I'm ready to tell Henry, get lost. I'm not going to your Bible study. Count yourself blessed that I even come to church on Sunday morning. I'm not giving up a weekday. I got stuff to do. Uh, But before I could do that, Tiffany puts her arm on the table, and she makes eye contact with him. She goes, what time does it start? I promise you we'll be there. All right, I guess we're going to this Bible study. Okay, Henry does something in that Bible study that we end up going to that completely changed our lives. Okay, I bought a Bible just for the occasion. You go to a Bible study, you have to have a Bible. Have you ever been to a Bible study where they just hand out Bible verses for you to read out loud and they just expect you to know where they're at in the Bible? So I'm sitting in this Bible study. We're in a small circle. I mean, there's only like six of us there. And Henry gives out Bible verses. He says, you read this verse, you read this verse, you read this verse. And he gives me a verse out of John chapter 15. Here's what you have to understand about me. Uh, At the college campus, I used to question Christians, and I'd use scriptures to question them, but I would always Google them. I never looked them up in a Bible. This is how far I was from God. I didn't know where the gospel of John was in the Bible. I had zero idea. And apparently, I didn't know that Bibles have a table of contents in the front. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I opened that Bible, and I'm flipping through it, trying to find it. And then Henry says this phrase. He says, uh, guys, don't worry about what order I gave you your verses in. Whenever you find your verse, just read it out loud, because I'm going to talk about everyone's verse at the same time. And that's a huge problem for me, because now everyone's read their verse, and uh, I'm in 1 John going, okay, 15, 15th chapter, where is it, where is it? Well, there's not 15 chapters in 1 John. So I get to 2 John, and then I get to 3 John, and if you look in your Bible, you know it's probably about this big. And I'm thinking, this is either the worst Bible study teacher ever, because he doesn't even know what chapters are in these books, or I'm in trouble here. I lean over to Tiffany as there's this awkward moment of silence where everyone's just waiting like, dude, read your verse. And uh, Tiffany helps me. She flips me back to the Gospel of John. She sticks her finger on the verse. This always reminds me of Grayson again, my six-year-old, because we're homeschooling him right now. And this is how my sweet wife um, helped me with the verse. She stuck her finger on the verse, and then one word at a time, she traced the words like a child reading for the first time (laughs) as I read from John 15. Guys, that's the moment that completely changed our lives because I told myself, that is never happening again. I took that Bible home and I began to read it for the first time. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss this. I had no desire to get to know God. My desire was to be smarter than Henry Jordan, the guy leading our Bible study. That was it. Uh, I began to read the Bible and my worldview began to fall apart. Um, Let me just share a few ways uh, that it fell apart. Uh, one, I thought that, the, that if God did create this world, then he created this world for us to suffer in. But as I read uh, through the Gospels, and I read about Jesus Christ, and, and I, I read the first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, I realized that God did not create this world for us to suffer or to die, and he created this world for us to live in communion, for us to have a relationship with him. And it was our own sin that brought death and suffering into this world, and my worldview just cracked a little bit. Uh, and then I... You remember reading about Jesus and his life and about how he lived a perfect life? And I remember thinking, man, as an atheist, 
If you would have asked me where my morality came from, I would have told you it was whatever I decided it was that day. Right? Like I knew there was no higher power that brought about my morality. Yet I read, read about Jesus and I realized I failed to live up to my own standards, let alone the standards of a holy and perfect God. And my worldview cracked again. And then I read about Jesus Christ and, uh, who, who knew no sin. He takes up his own cross and he dies on that cross for the sins of the, the world. And, and then he, his whole death, burial, and resurrection. And I didn't have a category for that. So it's a Wednesday night Bible study. I remember kneeling at our bedside in our apartment before the next Wednesday and just telling God, God, I'm tired. I'm just so exhausted. Got all these things that I'm, that I'm, I'm trying to find my worth in. They're not sustaining me. They won't fulfill me. God, I'm so tired. Would you help me? But you know what happened in that moment as I'm crying out to God for the first time in my life? This lie began to enter my mind. God wouldn't want somebody like you, right? That, that had successfully convinced Christians that they should never attend church again. Why would God want somebody like you? And then I, I, I read Jesus as he tells people to, to come. Come, you are that, are, that, are, that are weary. Come, you that are tired. And I asked Christ for forgiveness that day before the following Wednesday, before the Bible study met Again, and the Lord just turned our world upside down. Uh, I was able to, yes, praise the Lord. Uh, I was baptized a year later. I was able to share the gospel with both of my parents, and both of my parents been a profession of faith are in churches today. Um, so why am I sharing all that with you? Well, one, um, the Lord gave us a burden for people that are far from the Lord. If I was to summarize our ministry to you, I would summarize it this way. We believe that there is nobody too far from God that cannot be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody. And we are a walking testimony of that. Um, Scotland has the fastest growing atheist population in the world. So we really believe it's, that God has given us a purpose to reach people that are far from him like he reached us. That's our story. But th there's a detail in there that I really want to focus on this morning as we transition to to scripture. And that's that we cannot serve God. We cannot fulfill our God-given purpose if we are hanging on to our shame, right? Uh, let, me, let me read a story to you from the Bible. This is Peter's story, okay? Um, if, you, if you know this, if you've spent any time in church, you probably know this story already. And if you haven't, um, I'll summarize it for you. Um, Peter was a fisherman, um, the Bible tells us that when he meets Jesus for the first time, that's what he's doing. He's fishing. Right? If you remember the story, he hasn't caught anything. Um, and Jesus tells him to cast his net on the other side of the boat. He catches a, a, a boatload of fish. And then Jesus tells him to follow me. To follow me. And Peter does. And he spends three years with Jesus Christ, watching Jesus perform miracles, watching Jesus uh, allowing the blind to see again, to the deaf to hear again, and even watching Jesus raise dead people back to life. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, he realizes who Jesus Christ is. He realizes that this is the Son of God. This is God in flesh. And then he also develops this deep friendship with Jesus Christ. I think if you would have asked Peter, he would say that he considers Jesus one of his best friends. Where we're going to pick up the story is uh, Peter is uh, at dinner with Jesus. Jesus has this one last meal 
with his followers before he is crucified. And he tells them what's going to happen. He says, he tells them, hey, I, before this night is over, I'm going to be arrested and I am going to be killed for the sins of the world. And uh, do you remember what Peter responds? Peter's response is very bold. He says, Lord, I would never let that happen. Not on my watch. Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan, like you cannot thwart the will of God. And then Jesus tells him this. You think you're going to stop me from dying? No, 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 Peter. Before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Can you imagine being Peter in that situation? Uh, You're probably thinking, I would never do that. I would never do that. This is my closest friend. I would never do that. But you know what? Uh, Just as Jesus says it would happen, Jesus is arrested and he's taken to a courtyard where he is unfairly tried. He is beat. They rip his beard out. They spit on him. They torture him. And Peter follows. The Bible tells us that when Peter uh, gets to the courtyard where Jesus is being tried, uh, a young girl sees him. And she asks him, she says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? Peter looks at Jesus and sees the torment that he's facing and he gets scared. What does he say? No, I don't know him. And then the Bible tells us that he walks into the courtyard and he finds this fire, this coal fire where people are warming themselves. And somebody else walks up and they say, hey, your accent, you have a Galilean accent. That was the area that Jesus was from. I recognize you. You're one of Jesus's followers, aren't you? Peter I imagine is watching Jesus be tortured, and he goes, no, 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 you, I don't know him. And then somebody else walks up and says, uh-uh, Peter, I saw you with Jesus earlier, with my own eyes. I saw you with him. I imagine at this point, Peter is frustrated as he yells out, I do not know Jesus. And then just as Jesus says, the rooster crows, Peter looks at Jesus as they take him away. And Jesus Christ is crucified, dies a sinner's death on the cross. Could you imagine being Jesus in that moment? That moment where you just so desperately need a friend and one of your closest friends doesn't even want to admit that he knows you. Here's what we find. Here's what we find. We find that there is a real adversary out there who wants to use your shame and your guilt to distract you from fulfilling your God-given purpose. That's what we find in Peter's case. Let me, let me read this verse to you. This is uh, Mark 14, 72, right after Peter has denied Jesus. The Bible says this, And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. I imagine that if you or I were Peter, we'd be thinking, man, I'm going to stop Jesus from being crucified? What a joke. Like, I couldn't even admit that I knew him. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He rises again the third day. And where do we find Peter? He's fishing again. It's like he's given up hope. He's, he's, not, he's no longer trying to fulfill uh, God's purpose for his life. He's fishing again. The Bible tells us that uh, him and the other disciples are on this fishing boat, and uh, they're just trying to catch fish. And here's a really peculiar detail. Both instances where we hear about Peter fishing, he doesn't catch any fish. Like, I, I don't know if he was a good fisherman or not, but he never catches any fish. 
he sees this figure on the shore. And the, the man says, have you caught anything? And imagine Peter's like, who is this dude? Like, no, we haven't caught anything. He says, cast your nets on the other side. And they do. And they bring in so much fish that they can, the net can barely hold it. And Peter knows there's only one man that fishes like this. And he jumps out of the boat. He swims as hard as he can. And then when he can stand, he starts running as hard as he can as he comes face to face with Jesus Christ for the first time since he's denied him. That's where we're going to pick up the story. This is John chapter 21. Let me read you these verses. They, they make breakfast, they eat breakfast, and then Peter pulls, Jesus pulls Peter to the side and says this to them. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus told him, said to him, feed my sheep. Here's what we find from the story. This is the story of Jesus being uh, restoring Peter, even though that he has failed Peter. We learn this. God is in the business of restoring and using broken, sinful people like you and me and Peter. That if you are in that situation where you find yourself, where you have so much shame over maybe something you've done or some sort of secret sin that you have or some sort of addiction that you have, maybe your marriage is falling apart, whatever it is that you're struggling with, what we find in the story is that God is in the business of restoring broken people like you and I and praise him for it. Jesus had a purpose for Peter and he has a purpose for you. You know what Jesus' purpose was for Peter? He told him right there to, to, to feed my sheep, to tend my sheep. Oh, in other words, what he's telling him is, you will pastor the church and you will make my name known among all the nations of the world. But as long as Peter is hanging on to his shame, he will never fulfill that purpose. And neither will you. God has given you a purpose. And as long as you're hanging on to your shame, whatever guilt that you have, you will not fulfill God's purpose for your life. And that's exactly what God's enemy wants. He wants you to wallow in your shame. He wants you to wallow in your guilt. He wants you to stay still and not move. And that's what Peter, so, so Jesus asked Peter these, these questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, uh, commentators debate over what exactly Jesus is asking him when he says, do you love me more than these? So there's three options as to what he might be asking him. Um, the first one is he might be asking Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Or in other words, do you love me more than your work or your profession? Right? Or... Because we're really what we're trying to figure out is what are these that Jesus has talked about? He could be saying, do you love me more than these as he points to Jesus' friends that were fishing with him? So in other words, what Jesus is asking him is, do you love me more than you love your friends? Third option. Jesus, do you love me more than these as he points to the friends? But what he's asking him is, do you love me more than your friends love me? Guys, I don't think they, the, the answer to that question really matters or what the question is matters. What matters is that Peter hasn't acted like he loves Jesus, has he? 
Jesus is offering him this opportunity to be restored. See, Peter is only restored when he understands who he is and who Jesus is. And the same applies to you and I. We will only receive forgiveness when we understand who we are and who Jesus is. We are sinful, broken people that consistently let ourselves down and let those down around us. But Jesus Christ is merciful and he provides grace. And the more we fall and the more we, our weakness is revealed, the more mercy he pours out. Right? He's in a, a fountain that never runs dry of mercy and grace. And, that, and how, the reason I say this and the reason I say that Peter knows this is because Peter only is restored when he admits who Jesus is. He says, Lord, you know everything. You are God. I am not. I need forgiveness. Here's the other part that we find here. Jesus doesn't love like us. His love is greater, and this is where our hope should rest. Let me illustrate this to you this way. Um, We regularly cut people out of our lives for much less than what Peter did. Do you understand what I'm saying? That like all it takes is one of your friends to post something. Maybe it's political. Maybe it's uh, some something that you you're passionate about. But they post something that is contrary to what you think is right. And suddenly, we, it's so easy for us to just click that unfollow button, isn't it? Nobody has to know. I I just won't keep up with them anymore. We we ghost people and we cut people out of our lives. And the world tells us that's what we should do. How many times have you seen online that you should just cut all toxic people out of your life and your life would be better for it? We regularly cut people out of our lives for much less than what Peter does. And, And when we think about Peter's life here, here's what we have to catch. It is a testimony to Jesus's abundant grace and mercy that he's even talking to Peter, let alone offering him forgiveness. And you know what I think if we're really honest? We're all terrified that that would happen to us, right? Like it's so easy for us to cut other people out of our lives, but we're all terrified that we'd be on the other side of that, that we're going to make that one mistake where no one's going to want to be our friend anymore, when no one's going to want to follow us anymore. Uh, Dane Ortland has this quote in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He, sa- he, he says it this way, says, he, he's speaking about Jesus here. He does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a a limit. Jesus loves to the end. See, his love is greater than ours. And whatever it is, whatever shame or guilt that you're hanging on to, Christ offers you forgiveness if you'll turn to him. He keeps pouring it out. And here's how we know this is true. Um, Later in the story, Peter and John are in Jerusalem. Jesus leaves. He's ascended back to to heaven. And Peter and John are, um, are witnessing outside of the temple. And they're arrested. Catch this, guys. They're arrested by the same court that crucified Jesus. They're arrested by the same people that, that Peter was so scared to even admit that he knew who Jesus was. They tell him, they beat Peter and John, and they tell them, if you ever speak about Jesus Christ again, we will kill you. Acts four nineteen and 20 says this, but Peter... And John answered them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Jesus Christ restored Peter, and Peter got rid of his shame. He stopped letting the enemy tell him this lie that he was too shameful to be used of God. And maybe that's your story here today. Maybe you're here and you have some sort of uh, something that regret that you have that you're hanging on. And, uh, and all I want to share with you this morning, if you're going to take one thing away this morning, is that you matter to God. That you, that you, you matter so much to, to, to God that although you sin, right, that we all sin and we all rebel against God, we fundamentally rebel against God, that he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life life, and he lived the life that you could never live, and that he died the death that only you and I deserve, that he took off his cross, that he was crucified and died the death that we deserve. He took on the wrath of God, but he didn't stay dead, that he rose again the third day, and in doing so, he offers forgiveness to all that would turn to him, that would say, I don't care about my shame anymore. And whether it's addiction or my marriage is falling apart, whatever it is, it doesn't matter that Jesus Christ paid for it all and that you could receive forgiveness. And perhaps you did that a long time ago. You took care of that a long time ago, but you're still hanging on to that shame and it's stopping you from fulfilling your purpose, that you are not serving in this church in the way that you should because you're hanging on to your shame. Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness as well. Take it from somebody who never would have thought that he would step foot into your church, let alone proclaim these truths to you. There's hope. There's hope, guys, and his name is Jesus Christ. Would you turn to him? Um, the band's going to lead us in a song of reflection, and I would just ask that if you've never asked Christ for forgiveness, that you do so as we sing these verses. And perhaps you're here and you just need to receive forgiveness again, that you would turn to Christ in this moment.